Hello, everybody. This is the Designing Enterprise Platforms podcast from Early Adopter Research. My name is Dan Woods, the principal analyst at Early Adopter Research, and I'm going to be hosting a fascinating conversation today about the way that platform governance can uh, influence and uh, inform uh, the design of product-based platforms. I've got two professors from Europe, uh, Thomas Huber and Thomas Kud, and I'm sure I could probably do better with pronouncing their names, but they are from the University of Essex, and I'm gonna ask them to introduce themselves to you, and then we're gonna talk about some research they have about platform governance, which is remarkably on point to this podcast. So would you guys please introduce yourselves? Thomas, Uber, go first. Yeah, thank you, um, Dan, for um, approaching us and giving us the opportunity to do this. So um, I'm an assistant professor of information systems here at um, ESSEC Business School in Paris or close to Paris. And um, I'm doing research on um, platforms and particularly um, the management of uh, platform ecosystems and the dynamics that play out in the varying relationships in platform ecosystems. Well, I have a research focus, sorry? No, I was, I was going to say that I'm so excited because as part of your research, you've created a whole new language that I haven't encountered before about how to describe the dynamics of a, of, of a, of a platform, which is, I think, going to be one of the fun, most fun things about this podcast. Yeah, thank you. Okay, Thomas, I think... Um, Yes, so uh, thanks a lot for, for having us, Dan, and, and thanks for introducing us. So I'm Thomas Kud. I'm, I'm also at ESSEC Business School. I'm an associate professor. And uh, so Thomas and I have been working together on this platform topic. And, and um, so, so we all agree that uh, this, is, this is like a super exciting um, um, topic and there's a lot of interesting things to say about this. Um, apart from this, this platform governance, platforms in general, um, I, I study other questions that I consider related, which which have a lot to do with agile software development and, and IT governance in the digital age. So um, this is like my, my, my main research areas and I'm really excited to, to talk with you about this. Uh, Good, and, and Thomas, Uber, you also mentioned that you had a, I, I cut you off when you were gonna mention your research direction, what was that? Yes, yeah, so um, I not only look at um, the dynamics over time that play out in platform ecosystems, I'm also doing this in various inter-organizational contexts, um, usually um, like software outsourcing or even um, when you look at how major traditional firms like um, old banks or logistic companies, when they try to transform into more modern enterprises, um, basically how they can succeed in doing so. Um, that's my other um, research projects. Excellent. So today what we're going to do is I just recently wrote an article explaining my interest in uh, supporting people who design enterprise platforms. And so at Early Adopter Research, we serve people who are at the beginning of the mass adoption cycle. These, we, we call these people early adopters. And what they are doing is usually creating a platform internally, sometimes it has external participants, that is composed of a variety of different software products that then work together to do many of the things that you identify are, that are done in these external platforms like Uber or Airbnb. Um, you know, you mentioned a, a, a variety of different roles in a platform and, and, and 
including matchmaking, including co-creation, and you created a language for how these are governing, governed. So let's just, my, my interest in platforms, you know, began when enterprise software, you know, started getting so big that you really couldn't call it a product anymore. You know, the, you, you had multiple capabilities that are all integrated together. And now, even the smallest companies, when they come to market with their initial, you know, product, it's a platform already because it's got so many capabilities and it's designed to interact with so many different people. So that's why I think platforms are really what enterprise, you know, IT is all about at this point. So what would you do? How would you guys describe platform in the modern world, in the modern enterprise IT context? Um, well, then, so I guess the platform very, very broadly um, at a higher level is, can be seen as a, as a stable core that enables other elements, elements um, which could be individuals or artifacts to interact, right? And, um, but in our research, we, we look at digital platforms, such as the, the enterprise platforms that you, that you have been mentioning. And I think the interesting thing is that um, these digital platforms combine elements of what we call product platforms on the one hand and matchmaking on the other hand. And uh, to us, it's, it's, it's striking to see that uh, both of these ideas are actually not really new, right? Take product platforms in the automotive industry or, or take an ancient bazaar that brought together merchants and customers. So these are examples of product platforms and matchmaking. So, so why all this buzz today? Well, digitization has really dramatically changed the relevance and reach of platforms for, for a number of reasons. And uh, I guess this is why nowadays digital platforms are everywhere. Got and it. And are there categories of platforms? I mean, did you, you mentioned matchmaking and you mentioned the auto industry as a platform. You know, uh, uh, you know what, what are the different, you know, kind of ways that platforms are put to use? Well, I think the, the interesting thing about digital platforms, and this would be one, one way to, to categorize them, is that, that they combine aspects of these two. And um, so there are some platforms that lean more towards matchmaking, such as Uber and Airbnb that, that everybody is talking about, right? Um, but there's also more what we call hybrid platforms, which really also have this notion of a, of a foundational system, um, which very much resembles the product platform idea. And um, so take SAP or Salesforce as examples, but take also um, Google Android or Apple's iOS as examples. And, and what, and what, happens, what happens in a plot product platform that's different from matchmaking? What happens in a product platform is that, um, that there is actually like a, a foundational system, which is, which is a piece of technology that others, third-party providers that we call complementers, can build their own solutions on. And I think this is something that is very different from the case of Uber, which is really where the, where the technological part, which is, of course, very important, um, is about bringing different user groups together. And here in the, in the, in the product platform or in the hybrid example, we have this foundational system, and this has, 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 a, has a lot of implications for questions of platform governance that um, I guess we're going to talk about more later. If I, if I may add to this, um, I think what is really important is that um, um, what we refer to as the, the non-matchmaking platforms, uh, the product platforms, or um, that they provide often like a core functionality that is being reused by external uh, companies or external individuals, um, depending on um, the specific market that the platform is in. But the idea of a core functionality that is shared, I think, is, is very important. Got it. And so if we have, 
the Apple or Android ecosystems, you have a core set of APIs that allows people to, to, to create applications. That's the, the product platform. But then it also allows people to sell those applications. That's the matchmaking part of the platform. So that's the way it, in the way it's hybrid. In, in, in enterprise software, how would you see uh, that? How would you define how a platform creates value with respect to those two uh, capabilities, you know, matchmaking and co-creation? I, so, so I think in the, in the enterprise um, context, um, traditionally, even um, like the large scale systems that you mentioned earlier, like um, the SAP ERP system, um, they have always had aspects of a product platform. So they were working with partners um, for, well, many years now, not just in the last five or 10 years or so, um, but uh, even 20 or 25, 30 years ago, they were already working with partners. Of course, um, the reliance on external partners has increased over time as they added um, APIs that was accessible to um, external um, um, complementers or um, external software companies. Um, I think a more recent phenomenon um, in the enterprise software market is that there is also things like app stores. Um, traditionally, um, um, many of the um, large um, um, companies in the enterprise software markets uh, did not have direct access um, to customers. Maybe they were approached by consulting companies uh, maybe even by smaller software companies. And now they are also adding the uh, functionality to sell um, um, products via basically um, a matchmaking um, um, module of their platform. Got it. And probably the one that's furthest ahead in this is the Salesforce you know, app marketplace where you can build apps that extend Salesforce you know, that, that without really a lot of you know, prior restraint. And so... That's a really interesting thing that you mentioned in your research. And, and let's talk now about uh, the kind of the essence of your research about platform governance. Um, you distinguish between the, the, the two types of governance that are, uh, have really important aspects in terms of making a platform successful. You talk about you know, the, the kind of uh, system-wide governance, and then you talk about you know, very much, which is, which generally has to be about rules, about values, uh, uh, and allow a lot of people to participate without a lot of interaction. And that helps scale a platform. But on the other hand, there are certain types, times when a, a partner comes that is going to need a lot more attention, a lot more access, perhaps to the internals of the platform. And that partner engages in a different type of governance that you call dyadic governance. Could you talk about the, these two types of governance and their role in making platforms successful? Yeah, sure. Um, so I think those um, types of um, governance, um, they first differ in terms of um, the activities that you um, enact when you engage in them. So um, um, the arm's length governance, that's very much like following the standard uh, maybe not even personal interaction. Maybe you will be serviced um, through an online portal or 
through some other um, system. Maybe you will uh, only um, call um, a call center or so. So that's all um, the arm's length governance. Okay, a perfect example of this that I just went through is this podcast getting signed up to the Apple podcast distribution system. You know, mm -hmm. I had to go through an interface. I had to submit my podcast. Mm -hmm. I then got a response back from, an, you know, from a, a, a service person that said, you needed to fix these three things for it to be okay with us. And yeah. then I fixed those three things and then, then it was approved. It was very arm's length, very standardized. Uh, uh, and, and, and that's an example of the kind of uh, ecosystem-wide sort of governance that you're talking about. Exactly. And that's, um, that's actually fine, right? You were able to, to successfully upload your podcast. So um, everything is fine. But there might be situations um, when, sorry, Thomas, do you want to add something? Yeah, thank you. I, I, wanted to, I just wanted to add, I think this is really a, an, an excellent example. And it, it really shows us that the, the, the goal of Apple here is, is geared towards scalability, right? They try to standardize governance as much as possible. Um, even though your podcast is great and this is a special one, they, they want to, to, to do this for, for many, many other app developers, right? Their, their, their key goal is scalability. Of course, they want to co-create value, but they want to do so um, um, while, while scaling their, their, their ecosystem as much as possible. And this is exactly what, what may be different, what we refer to in our research in the enterprise software context. And this is where um, dyadic governance comes into play. Dyadic governance. Uh, yeah, there was a little bit of, uh, of telecom interference there. Got it. And so, um, so that's a great example of ecosystem-wide governance. And essentially what happens there is that and you said also there's values in your research that, that may not be written down or may be written down that are reflected in that ecosystem governance. Like we want to be inclusive or we want to avoid hate speech or we want to do a variety of other things. We want to, you know, you know, make it easy for you or you know, we want to support you. Whatever it is, there's also not only technical aspects of it, like the system I went through, but also values that are in play as well. Now, Let's now move to the idea of dyadic governance. You know, what, what, what it seems to me that, that, that this covers a lot of territory and it's going to be complicated to, for me to understand it, in, in, perhaps. Here's what I'm thinking is, at one level, you've got somebody like SAP or Oracle who's combining and creating an enterprise software system. And so they are looking at making and expanding the footprint of that system. And sometimes they have a big extension they want to make. And so instead of developing it themselves, maybe they integrate with a third party to provide that, that extension. Or maybe they buy the company. You know, both of those, it seems in your model, would be dyadic governance because they're complicated relationships that are core to the fundamental platform. But then you go down further and you have a bunch of smaller companies that you know, maybe they, they don't want to choose in another. They want to work with every CRM or they want to work with every you know, you know, uh, sort of analytic system. Uh, and then you'd have, even though it couldn't be completely general, you, you have to allow access to internal stuff. You don't want it. It's not nearly as quote of custom as the, the, the higher relationship. Mm -hmm. Explain kind of the dimensions that go on in this dyadic relationship and why you have to have it at all. Yeah. So first of all, why you have to have it as all, at all is um, because oftentimes it's difficult to, to cater to very specific needs 
by just doing the standard stuff. So when, when we continue your podcast example, um, all you can do via um, arm's length governance is what someone has anticipated in the standard. So for example, in the form fields um, that this online portal provided to you. But what now um, if you have um, like a very distinct business opportunity, let's say um, a project that you may, um, you may um, um, be able um, to sell to a major customer that you haven't served before, but only if you engage in very close interaction with that, um, with some um, complementer um, company who offers um, um, a, a solution based on your platform. Um, this would be a situation where you need dyadic governance. Would you explain the word complementer? Because I thought that was one of the nicest and in most interesting words that was in your research that, that, that I felt really helped explain the topics. Yeah. Thomas, do you want to explain um, it? So yes, um, um, a complementer is basically um, our, our term for um, a third party provider that adds some functionality to a platform. And, and this is the important part, which is uh, the, 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 um, the element that we want to stress here is that this is, this is complementary. This may be a niche solution that the platform owner is, is, is unwilling to provide because the market niche is too small. Um, and this is where the complementers come in. And we call them complementers because together they co-create value for the respective client. There may be a client that uses some of SAP's or Oracle's or Microsoft's basic functionality, but then needs additional functionality from one of the complementers or several ones. Yeah, and by definition, the complementer is not just like a, a user. So like when I take an Uber ride, I'm not a complementer. But if I in provided an enhanced way of ordering an Uber, you know, by uh, using American Sign Language, you know, from a video interface, maybe then I would be a complementer, you know, because I'm adding right. functionality. Exactly. Right. And this goes back to the distinction we make between mat pure matchmakers and, and hybrid platforms that combine some elements of product platforms, right? Got it. So now there's a range, as I mentioned earlier, of the complexity and intensity and impact of these dyadic relationships. You know, like, Talk about you know the the the, the difference and, and and the effect that a dyadic relationship has on a platform's ability to be successful and also to scale. Right. So, of course, it's a, it's so first of all, it's a trade-off. So um, when when we said earlier that um, Apple goes for scalability and therefore does a lot of arm's-length governance, um, if you're engaging in dyadic governance, you sort of undermine the goal of scalability. But this can still be worthwhile if the situation um, promises some uh, value creation opportunities that may, um, you know, that are st strong enough or valuable enough to um, make the, this extra effort worthwhile. So, so first of all, so it's important to know that this is a trade-off. You can't have everything at the same time. And this is why we say, um, and also why uh, we found that out, so it's, it's based on our research, what we found is um, dyadic governance is something that is often conducted like situationally. It's nothing that um, um, an, a platform owner does with every complementer all the time. 
but only with a few complementers and with those few complementers only when it's absolutely necessary because the standards somehow don't um, are, are not enough to um, um, leverage a business opportunity. Got it. And so the now I think we can get to what I wanted to get to in this podcast, which is now imagine that you're one of my heroes, the early adopters. And what are they trying to do? They're trying to take a variety of enterprise software products and they're trying to knit them together into a platform that serves their interests in, you know, make something possible. So, so the example I talked when we were doing our, our prep conversation was about a company that uh, supplies tech uh, employees to large retailers because the large retailers need trained people, but they're not very good at finding and training people who know about computers or cell phones or audiovisual equipment. And so this other company, and I'm going to be doing a podcast with them soon, um, they provide those employees to these large retailers. They are good at training and finding those people, but they, what they realized is they had to manage this large workforce, but then they had to also allow this work, large workforce to collaborate. And so they combined a workforce management solution with a internal social network solution so that they would enable all of the employees to be able to communicate with each other, to capture knowledge, and to be, you know, to have this governance system where each one of them is a complement, is not a complementer, but a user that then is a sort of a low level complementer in that they provide knowledge to the system. So, uh, but in there, so they're explicitly trying to make the system better. Um, but they're also, um, you know, playing by very generic, you know, standardized rules. And so mm. it seems to me that this is the goal of enterprise software in general, but enterprise, you know, the enterprise platforms, product-based platforms as well. And so um, what examples have you seen of, of how this works, you know, in a, uh, uh, a context inside companies, you know, where you have um, uh, uh, enterprise platforms being built uh, according to um, the design that I mentioned, but also then being governed by the principles. It's, I mean, I guess what I'm arguing is that, the, the, that most enterprise platforms succeed when they actually achieve you know, standardized ecosystem governance models. Dan, I think this is a very, a very fascinating idea and actually a very exciting question that, that we have been thinking about uh, quite a bit as well. And I, I think you have a, a really good point that uh, those companies that succeed in our, our digital age are often those that um, are able to, to, to benefit from and integrate some of these platform ideas that we have been talking about um, within their organization. So and, and in, in our research, we, we have seen that um, for questions of IT governance and digital transformation, it's often this platform um, thinking that, that, um, that what characterizes the successful companies. And, and why is that the case? So um, what we believe is that um, today in the digital age, it's not enough to um, be good at one thing, but often we have to fulfill um, contradictory demands, achieve many things at the same time. Um, and, and this is exactly where the notion of platforms come in because platform have this or, or have the if, if they are managed and governed in the right way, they provide firms with the ability to 
ensure control on the one hand and stability, um, and on the other hand, also flexibility and innovativeness. And this is exactly what organizations, what the, what the winners in the digital age are doing. They ensure control, they ensure that there's a stable core, and they ensure that, for example, um, there's security is ensured, integration is ensured, so that we can make use of, for example, business models that rely on data. So this is the integrative stable part. But then on the other hand, they, 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 by doing so, they provide the interfaces and the guidelines for innovation, for autonomy and for flexibility to um, address the challenges, of, the challenges of, of digitization. And this is why I think you're absolutely right that many ideas, you can learn a lot from this platform, um, governance ideas and platforms in general for IT governance, for the ways how IT needs to be managed within organizations. It seems like one of the implications of what you're saying is that that the way platforms grow internally, because almost all you know, internal product-based platforms are on an evolutionary path. You know, they're very rarely just uh, stable. And so the idea is, seems like the advice we can give early adopters who are designing this platform is first understand that core reliability of, you know, and the core functionality of that platform, and then establish a surface area, a user interface, that is an ecosystem you know, governance model where everything is standardized and you can get value out of that. And underneath that, there's a bunch of integration of various products happening that give you a new level of value. And that is the way that you scale usage and scale value of that first stage of an enterprise product-based platform. Right, I, I, I agree with that um, because in, in platforms, you often talk about the notion of what we call generativity. It's this idea of providing a platform and then enabling unforeseen innovation at a large scale. Um, so I, I, I fully agree with you that we want to have this ecosystem governance on the one hand, but I think what we can really learn from, from our research and from what Thomas was just discussing is that we shouldn't be, scalability shouldn't be our only focus. If there, is, there is circumstances especially when, when, when it's about very innovative topics, when it is important to um, engage in some more dyadic governance to um, make specific things happening. And this is where the values come into play that we, that we have seen as so important in the enterprise platform context, because it is the values that guide the innovation often. Often it makes sense to not go for scalability and standards um, in any case, but um, allow teams to work together, but then guided by some higher level values. And if you can ensure, if firms can make this happen, then um, they're on the right track. That's a fascinating concept that the innovation and evolution would be guided by values. What's a, can you give me a couple of examples of, of that sort of, uh, of progression? For example, um, I observed the evolution of the Etsy uh, platform, you know, which had a variety of different rules in it uh, about the kind of people they would offer at the beginning, which was only artisanal, you know, suppliers. And then they had certain restrictions and, and various policies that, that governed that. But then as the platform grew, they allowed people who would not only make their own stuff, but would use manufacturers. And then now they've even expanded that further. So there's a lot more, uh, uh, you know, people uh, uh, coming and they've been trying to preserve their values of providing special products at the same time expanding their, their product line and, and expanding the number of entrepreneurs that can participate. So um, that's an example where I'm not sure if you'd argue that the, the ex evolution was consisted by the values, but maybe a change in values enabled a different you know, uh, uh, evolution of the platform. 
Yes, um, I, I would fully agree with that. And I think it's an excellent example because what the values did in this case is that first they made sure that there is a certain level of trust and community in the platform. And, and this is very important, um, and maybe we'll get to this, that complementers um, invest into the platform so that it's all, all kinds of user groups that are active on this platform are willing to invest because this is a, a large commitment in many cases. So um, especially when we talk about enterprise software, and by, by ensuring that there's these higher, higher values, these higher principles that guide innovation in the ecosystem, we can make sure that, um, that um, all the, the participants are willing to, to, um, well, yeah, to invest their efforts and to, to, to a certain extent lock themselves into the ecosystem. Yeah. So what, what we had, um, when, when we look at values, what we are really interested in is um, how do these values help um, that complementers come to trust um, the platform owner because the idea is that every complementer um, puts itself in a situation of risk when um, he, he um, um, joins an ecosystem. Um, for example, uh, when you join the SAP ecosystem, you have to take major investments like um, do some certifications and things like that. You also have to build up all this technological knowledge. Even if you don't certify your employees, it's still an investment. So you could um, spend this money in another way as well. So you sort of um, um, become dependent on this uh, platform owner, in this case, SAP. And when we look at the values, it's um, basically values um, which are about how SAP promises um, to behave in the ecosystem. So for example, SAP may promise, or IBM or any other platform owner may promise to treat everyone in the ecosystem, so all complementers in, in, in an equal way, in a fair way, in a productive way and things like that. And um, these, Promises have effects on complementers because on the one hand, they um, feel, okay, um, this platform owner is a trustworthy uh, counterpart, but of course it also raises expectations. So what is really important for um, the platform owner once uh, the platform owner has made this promise is to basically uh, keep it. And so um, we, we think what is... Um, really important is um, even though you know those values they all they often sound like oh yeah that's that's a nice uh, thing to say but they make a real difference in the investment behaviors of complementer companies um, it's for them this is not just empty promises for them this gives assurance which makes them invest more in the platform and these investments then, of course, pay off by creating value for the platform. Got it. So now it seems like that what we can say is that when you're creating an enterprise, a, a product-based platform inside a company, you want to make sure that you understand first at one level, you know, the ecosystem-wide governance levels and the, 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 the users benefit and how you're going to systematically deal with them. Second thing you want to understand is as you move forward, 
where are you going to want to extend that platform and how are you going to you know manage the extension of that with the and and what kind of dyadic governance are you going to need and it seems like there's two cases one case is the complementers maybe those are people internal to the system who are going to have a, a more special relationship with that system and be able to do things and maybe create content that then become part of the system so maybe these are the super users that are creating yes. new dashboards or the the people who have privileged access who can you know can can make something new happen and then provide it for use but then in addition there's the larger major extensions which are much which you're saying where we're going to integrate a whole new system instead of just having our workforce management and our um, our uh, uh, collaboration system now we're going to also you know integrate a a bot you know a, a chat bot you know interface that will be used by consumers in the stores or on their app or also you know used by us to answer questions and so that would be like the the larger sort of more complex dyadic relationship um, yeah. and so it seems like that your advice is know what you're doing you know when are you uh, um, uh, you know when when is it uh, the right time to add complementers and how are you going to control them when is it the right time to extend the platform these are the kind of you know key decisions that either make for success or failure exactly and and if i if i might add to this um i think we we see this in like not only the early adopters um so so the early adopters i think they are facing the special problem that um they don't have like a giant um, customer base or a giant base of complementers that they can basically learn this stuff from. Um, whereas um, an, a platform owner like Apple, um, they can start, you know, they, they don't have to open any API to everyone immediately. So I'm sure before they opened up the Siri API, they experimented with that inside and some of the special Siri features um, that we always were using on our iPhone, um, um, they have basically now become standardized and made available to everyone. But even Apple had to learn how to do this. And um, for early adopters, I think this is also true. And um, for early adopters, without... Um, a giant workforce, a giant customer base, a giant uh, base of complementers, they probably have to open up um, to um, external companies as well. And this is what dyadic governance can do. So if you think, oh, there's a complementer who has a really good idea, and I think this complementer could help me come up with an innovative solution for a problem, that I would see to become a platform feature, then dyadic governance would be the right thing to do. Then the standards won't help you. Got it. And well, it just seems to be like know where you're at in the process would, would, would help the early adopters design the product-based platforms. And also, yeah. I think you, you raised a really interesting point, which I think we should explore uh, with other people in another podcast, and that is it's a different thing to learn from a group of a hundred or a thousand users than it is to learn from a group of a million users. And the, the idea is that your, your approach to learning what's successful and what's not is going to be um, uh, a much different process because you mm -hmm. cannot rely on as you know, the, the data is not going to be 
as determinative. You're going to have to do a little bit more analysis to understand what's going on. It's not that the data won't be useful. It's just yes. it's not going to be as, as compelling and, 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 uh, and, and strong. Yes. Yeah. One, one other thing then that you mentioned that I would like to um, react to, you said it's also about being kind of smart and know what you do in terms of extending the platform. And I, get, I think, again, there's many things that um, we can learn from our research on, on, on inter-organizational platforms. So we did a study, for example, on, on Google, um, um, Google Photos, the um, photo management app um, that Google introduced at some point. And um, we were interested in the question, um, what happens when Google competes with um, their own complementers in a way because they added some an app that uh, that their complementers already were providing similar functionality, and we're simply interested in the question what 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 happens to innovation in that part of the ecosystem? And interestingly, found that it increased innovation. So this is, has can have implications for internal platforms as well because we can learn that on the one hand we should. Um, be careful and not to in integrate too much into the platform to leave enough space for innovation, leave enough space for for niches that could be um, could be used by complementers. But at the same time, we can also gear innovation towards a, a specific area that we we want to. So this is another notion of platform governance that we can learn from for for firm internal governance. I think. And so, what did Google provide that was competing with the uh, the existing complementers? Well, there were hosts of complementers that were active in this in this photo management space. There were parts of the functional functionality. It could be filters, or it could be some some storage spaces. So all kinds of things related to to, to photos. But then photo had this uh, Google introduced this app that kind of integrated all of this functionality, and that that was competing with with many of their complementers active in the space. So one one could have thought that um, it would it would kind of kill innovation in that area. But no, what it did is it provided what we sometimes call the digital real estate for others, again, to build on. It's kind of a platform in a platform. I see. So instead of having to solve the marketing problem of how do I get this great filter in front of everybody, I could just add it to the Google Photo app uh, as an extension. Right. And, and, and uh, I could all of a sudden get everybody that was using the Google Photo app to use it. Um, uh, and, you know, you know, and then whether it was monetized or whatever, that's a whole different story. But exactly. Uh, yeah. Right. Got it. But OK, well, that's good. So I think that the you know, the, what I'm taking away from this is that your research really, um, you know, is all about how to know where you're at in the process, how to know how to treat people, how to structure the, the relationships and how to manage them. And uh, and by paying attention to that consciously, you can avoid uh, some problems. I guess the last thing I'd love to, to just to touch on briefly is do you have any kind of governance train wrecks that um, uh, you, can, you can talk about? Like for example, uh, recently we've seen in the um, open source community uh, some massive governance train wrecks with respect to um, the Redis community where Redis Labs had um, uh, uh, made a bunch of intellectual property less accessible through licensing than it had been in the past. And the open source community, which has, a, you know, which builds the foundational product, found this to be very upsetting. And it was sort of like a, a governance train wreck in that they had this, this complementer dyadic relationship. And by changing the values, essentially, they really destroyed a lot of goodwill and created a lot of hostility and, uh, uh, so do you have any other kind of uh, 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 governance train wreck examples? 
one example might be Microsoft a couple of years ago when they um, decided to discontinue um, Silverlight because um, before they decided to dis discontinue Silverlight, they actually, um, you know, they tried to, to gain traction among their complementers. They actually engaged in quite some dyadic governance, as we would call it. So they tried to... Um, um, give complementers specific incentives to um, support Silverlight and things like that. And then after a very short time span, at least um, for the platform market, they discontinued it. And um, this led to um, a lot of disgruntled uh, complementers. And I think this would be another example of such a train wreck. Got it. Yeah. Well, and, 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 and I think what I'm going to be exploring is like examples of good governance internally and bad governance internally. And I think that, you know, it all is going to come back to, I think, this being part of a change management process. But, but by, by thinking of it in this way, you can, I think, organize your change management thinking in using, you know, building on what's been learned in these uh, more public platforms. Well, yeah. I am so happy that we got a chance to talk. Um, your research is really interesting to me and I'm eager to write about it. And I hope that we can keep talking after uh, we write some more. And, and, and uh, maybe if you come to New York, we can do a live podcast. Uh, <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> that would be excellent then. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having us and for the chance to talk about our research. We are very uh, enthusiastic about these topics and the implications. So thanks for the great opportunity. Really appreciate it. Yeah, My thank pleasure. you, Dan. Thank yeah, you so much. Yeah, and um, by the way, um, this was also very interesting uh, for us. Um, we we uh, don't do this every day, and um, it's always important for us that we sort of um, translate our research findings to the real world. So um, thank you for giving us this opportunity. Excellent. Well, uh, to be continued. Yes. <laughs>